The following podcast may be explicit. One Joe Young presents Adventures from the Shed, a tabletop RPG podcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. This has been a great ride with Joe as Dex and Kurt as the GM in our Cthulhu Confidential one-to-one podcast series. We're sure to do this again. Let's listen in and see how everything turns out for Dex in this final episode. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, and welcome to The Shed for Adventures from The Shed. This is Kurt, back for what will probably be the finale of Cthulhu one-on-one. It's the one GM, one player adventure that I am playing with Joe Young. Cthulhu Confidential, and yes, I am Joe. I am playing Dexter, Dex Raymond, Private Eye, hardened street guy from circa 1930s uh, Los Angeles. Exactly, and just as a reminder, we are playing Cthulhu Confidential, which is based on the gumshoe one-to-one system created by Robin Laws. Uh, and this adventure is The Fathomless Sleep. I believe it was written by Robin Laws, Chris Spivey, and Ruth Tillman. And we've been playing for, gosh, I don't know, five or six hours at least. Uh, this and is our number six. Our number six. Yep. And uh, I think I at least have been having a great time, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this convoluted tale ultimately leads. I thought to myself whether to tell the GM I was having a good time or not, considering my fate was in his hands, (laughs) I decided to say, yeah, you know, I've been having a great time too, Kurt. Well, so in the last hour, we learned a few things, and uh, there wasn't a driving narrative because there's a little bit of confusion about where things were leading, but but we have, you know, you met with Phil Block, the accountant, and learned that Helen, who is the missing girl had uh, had Phil make a duplicate set of the books for the casino and based him into doing so. Exactly. And right. so he he essentially stole Whitey's books for Helen and she is using those uh, or she has offered those as far as we know to the East Coast mobsters who are trying mm-hmm. to make their push into LA and uh, the East Coast mobsters would presumably like to oust uh, Whitey Alexander and come in and take over that racket and probably eventually boot Guy McAfee, but for now at least uh, maybe work for Guy. Uh, and beyond that, you know, uh, you met Bud Barron, who is kind of the mid-level gangster that works for Ben Bugsy Siegel. Uh, you guys had actually a fairly civil conversation. He talked to you about Mickey Cohen, and you know that Mickey comes around at the magazine warehouse every day or two, and I think we had finished last time with you saying you were kind of going to yep. stake him out, wait for him to come we're back there. Wait so around for him to show up. Yeah, yeah. so... You want to pick it up there? Yeah, after I had some time to reflect while I waited for Mickey to show up. That explosion with uh, Mr. Crosby's car at the casino still left me unsettled. Somebody really wanted somebody uh, to, to get a message. And these guys are the ones sending it, and I'm sitting on their front doorstep. So I'm a little nervous as I wait around for Mickey to show up. Right, right. As uh, Joe and I talked off uh, off the air, you know, in terms of uh, the dynamic here, you know, it's not like Dex is a cop. Mm. And these guys, even though they're from the East Coast, you know, they're trying to make a push into L.A. And someone like Dex knows kind of L.A. both at the cop level and at the underworld level. So he's potentially valuable to them. So there's not a naturally antagonistic relationship. Uh, they're not going to be overtly friendly probably to you, but they're also mm. not necessarily viewing you as an enemy. So if these guys are you know, chatty with you or more willing to talk to you than might seem normal for gangsters and PIs. I don't think in this particular case it would be necessarily unusual. Okay. 
Um, and also, as far as we know, thus far, no one's done anything that they would necessarily be particularly ashamed of, at least at their yeah. in their world. And, and there, I mean, there are the two um, the the two bombers that decided to shoot at me. I was following them, and all the, you know, in their defense. So it, right. it's not so bad overall. Right. And those were low they can level. Be forgiven. Yeah, they're yeah. those are guys. All right, so. Um, at this point, rather than uh, having you wait a bunch of time, I think we can just say, you know, you're hanging out at the warehouse. You know, Bud knows you're there. He knows mm-hmm. you want to see Mickey. You know, they're offering you coffee as you hang out. And, yeah. you know, next morning, uh, uh, you know, you tell me when at some point, uh, yeah. you know, Mickey Cohen, uh, who at this point is, uh, you know, an, uh, a fairly young, uh, I don't want to say thug, but he's young muscle here for the mob. And, uh, you know, he shows up at that point and kind of comes waltzing right into the into the magazine shop and mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of loud and brash. Just, hey, I'm here. Like, uh, like he's know, wanting like, everyone to say, Norm. Exactly. Yeah. Norm. So, um, you know, at, at that point, you know, I'll have to turn it over to you. Excuse me, Mr. Cohen. I need to talk to you. My name's Dex Raymond. Well, do I need to talk to you? I'm sure you do. I've got a few things that might interest you, and I have a couple questions if you don't mind. Well, if they might interest me, I've got a minute or two. Let's uh, let's step into one of the offices over here. Great. I was talking uh, after we get into the office. I was talking to Bud a little while ago, and he said I might be able to uh, ask you a couple of questions about something. But I'll let you know. One of the things that might interest you is um, I've uh, run into a couple of uh, Germans recently, and uh, I might be able to let you know where they are if you can help help me out a bit, too. Well, you've already talked to Bud? Yeah. How'd that go? I think it went just fine. If I call him, is he going to say the same thing? Oh, sure. You go right ahead. Isn't he in the office right down the hall? He is. He is. Uh, I mean, I guess. You know, you never know where he might be, but yeah, I could, uh, you know what? Hang on. Hang on. Actually, I'm going to go check on this. You go right ahead. So, uh, you know, Mickey actually does. He goes out of the office. He comes yeah. back like a minute and a half later. He says, uh, says all right, Mr. Barron, uh, our buddy, says, uh, as far as he can tell you on the up and up, uh, what, uh, what are you talking about with these Germans? Well, first, I got a question for you about the books that you have brought. Uh, Helen, um, Helen Deacon brought them to you. I need to know where, what happened to that and if you happen to know what happened to her. Well... That's uh, I, I know some things that happened to her for sure, and uh, I could sort of kind of a long tail. But why don't you tell me about these Germans first? I don't want to just. I mean, I got no reason to tell you about this Let's, girl. Um, well, you've got one guy who's been uh, scoping out people, taking pictures where he shouldn't be taking them, using them for blackmail. And this guy, he's the kind of guy that I think you would enjoy paying a visit to. So I mean, f- for blackmail, I mean, he's just. Get money taking pictures from them? What's a? Well, he's he's trying to put. Well, I'm trying to trying to frame it in a way that the, this thug might understand. <laughs> he's he's uh, he's putting some people's lives in in uh, jeopardy, some American lives in jeopardy. And uh, you know, as a German, I thought maybe you'd want to pay him a visit. Is he a German? Or is he a Nazi? I'm pretty sure he's uh, both in the same. Well, he's got. Oh, I, actually, I can show you here now. Granted, I can't read them because they're in German, but I had it translated here that he's got letters right from the motherland telling him how to handle people over here. There's some stuff he takes right a look in at here. it, yeah. and he kind of looks at it, and you can tell he's not reading yeah. them. And he's like, but he's 
wanted to look like he's reading or trying to. Yeah, this is. Uh, There's some specific yeah, information uh, about uh, not only defacing people but making them, uh, you know, bringing bringing uh, some people down over here, including you know Charlie Chaplin. I mean, he, this guy's really out to get us. What? Yeah. What's this guy's name? Uh, his name is Franz. I'll tell you his last name after we discuss these other things. But you can tell by the first name of Franz is legit. All right, well, Buzz says he thinks you're all right. And, you know, there ain't much I like better than beating Nazi ass. So uh, beating Nazi I'll, I'll ass. talk to you. I'll talk to you a little bit, and we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But I tell you what, if this guy he ain't a kraut, you're going to hear from me. You'll see. Um, so what do you uh, And Helen... So I'm on this case to figure out what happened to the Hel- to Hel- to the lady Hel- Helen Deacon. Good gosh! Yeah, well, you know she yeah. she reached out to Bud at the Alegria. You know he mm-hmm. probably told you that. Yeah. And uh, you know Bud's he's a good guy, but he ain't the boldest type. And uh, you know Bud needs someone like me. Every everybody needs someone like me. Everybody does. So uh, you know I had to deal with her. So I met her at an associate's garage two uh, three times, two or three times. And uh, we worked out the details of a trade, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you already know the story, so uh, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But, you know, we got Whitey's books in exchange for uh, a hit on Whitey and uh, forgiveness of uh, Roscoe Deacon's debts. Mm-hmm. That was her deal. She said we get her dad clear, take care of Whitey, and uh, she'd give us all the books, that, all the info we needed to, you know, take him down, I guess. So Whitey's still breathing. What's up with that? Well, you, you give it time. You give it time. All right. So, so the uh, first time we uh, we met, we worked out the deal, and uh, the second time she actually gave me the books. Um, I gave them to Mr. Siegel. He put them away. You know, he's waiting for the right time. Mr. Siegel is very smart. He never never wants to move too quickly. Doesn't want to get run out of town the way Capone did. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah so you don't stay too long at the top if you don't have the smarts. Yeah, Mr. Siegel's very smart, very smart. And, you know, we don't like things to get back directly to him. And that's why, you know, I met with her out of this garage that uh, my associate, he runs. It's uh, out in San Bernardino, way on the edge of the desert. All right. Uh, you got there, you really can't miss it. There's a, an abandoned old oil derrick on the property. So you'll, know, you'll know the one. All righty. So you don't mind a visit there, then? I mean, I don't know why you would, but, I mean, that's I'm where we I'm just do it. trying to crack a case looking for clues, my friend. Well, I mean, the, uh, the guy who runs the weirdest places. <laughs> the uh, the guy who runs the garage. He's a he's a cousin of mine that um a cousin of mine who lives out here in California. Met him when he was in the joint. The guy's name is Roy Roy Bedact. Uh, he was serving a couple of years. I think he was an accessory Grand Auto. Um, Grand Theft Auto or something like that. And, you know, my cousin told me to look him up when he arrived in towns. We started using his garage as kind of an out-of-way spot to meet when we had to have some hush-hush meetings, keep things quiet. You know, used him to chop up some cars, stolen cars, stuff like that. All right. What did she talk about in your meetings? Is it all about the books? What else did she talk about? I mean, that's that's all she was interested in. She was interested in getting her dad clear and... uh you know, I, I got the sense that Whitey was roughing her up. She didn't want anything to do with him. I think she had another squeeze on the side, and, you know, he was a means to an end for her. And she could get rid of him and take care of her dad. That would work. It was a, it was a mutually beneficial deal. Like, she got what she wanted. We were going to get what we wanted. problem is the broad, you know, she busted into the coconut grove, made a scene right in front of Mr. Siegel. 
uh, you know, that's his, the restaurant he likes mm-hmm. to go to. And, uh, man, if I hadn't caught her, I mean, Mr. Siegel, he would have whacked her. He would have had it done. Now, I mean, I saved that broad's life. Sounds like you did a nice thing there. Well, I mean, if I hadn't grabbed her and gotten her out of there and taken care of her, there's no way she'd be alive now. So did she pay you back for your help? Uh, well... Is that, is that part of this deal that you had with her? Well, I mean... Look, why don't you tell me a little more about these uh, this German connection first, huh? Something else, a little more from me. Uh, let me think. Um, I mean, I, I just... Give him Spielberg's last name and where he can find him. Okay, so I well, tell you Spielberg's what. Spielberg's real last name is Spielman. Spielman. Yeah. Spielman. Um, His first, first name is Steven. Right. Right. So uh, I tell you what. Uh, at this point, I think you got to use a push to get something more out of Mickey. I we, we're, um, I don't think I have anything else here. Um, I'm looking at the edge cards I have, and I have nothing else really that's going to help here unless I get in a fight with them. <laughs> <laughs> You're in trouble if you get yeah, in a fight with I'm them. I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah, I got nothing else. So, yeah, let's do that. Okay. I got one push left. Let's spend it. This is the time to get all the information. Right. So, so you use a, let's say, kind of a reassurance push at this point. Yeah. You're, yeah. you know, you've, you've let him know, look, you're not looking to get him in trouble. You don't give any rat's ass about anything to do with Siegel. Yeah, or, and no. I have no uh, no love lost with uh, Whitey Alexander either. So and, I'm looking to protect him. And uh, Mickey Cohen, I mean, he's not particularly regretful about any of the story. It's just part of his job. But mm-hmm. um, he, what he does is he, so you push him, reassure him. Mm-hmm. He goes and makes a phone call. He says, look, I'll be back. It's make fun. He's checking your story on the mm-hmm. address of this okay. guy. And comes back. He's and it actually takes him a while. He's gone like probably ten minutes. Okay. And he comes back. He's like, "All right, sorry." Um, and me and the boys are gonna have some fun later. So listen, here's what happens. Yeah, I told you about the garage and Roy. Look, Roy's got another useful talent in addition to chopping up autos. He uh, he makes moonshine. Ah. And uh, you know he makes the regular throat ripping stuff. <laughs> By the way, Helen, she tried a sip of that. You know, yeah. she's uh, she's a rich girl, but she likes to live like. She, Pretend like she's on the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. She took a sip of that, man. Woo, that burned her up. But anyways, he makes another kind of moonshine, and uh, mm-hmm. it puts your memories to sleep. Ah. And that's what I needed. This broad, she's, you can't walk into the coconut grove and make a scene in front of Bugsy Siegel. Ben Siegel, you would never, ever call him Bugsy. So, Mr. <laughs> Siegel. And uh, you can't make a scene like that and expect to stick around. So, I, uh, I took her out to Roy to have her give, give him some of the moonshine. And uh, that was the last I saw of her. And, uh, you know, when Roy was good and sure that Helen couldn't rat on us, he followed our instructions, dropped her off downtown, left her, left her as is. Um, I mean, like I said, I saved her life. She's going to recover eventually, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, stuff can't last forever, right? By then. So does Roy have an antidote for this stuff? I mean. If I go see him, is, is he going to be able to fix this? I don't know anything about that, but I mean, yeah. I, I imagine it's going to wear off, right? And by then, we will have pushed Alexander out. Siegel will be on top. Uh, I mean, everything will have worked out just the way that we, uh, just the way we wanted it to, just the way we wanted. Yeah. And as he says that, he kind of picks up this kind of medium-sized rock 
that's been on his desk and just kind of starts tossing around and you can see him get this almost glazed look in his eye. He says, it worked out just, just the way we wanted it to. Just, just the way we wanted it to. And then he like puts it down and all of a sudden he, he snaps back. Kind of snaps yeah. back, snaps back to it. So, uh, what's that, what's that rock you got there, Mickey? Oh, this, uh, he picks it up and you see, he picks it up and he almost gets a little weird. He's like, I don't know. I just, I, I found this out there. Roy's uh, had it on his desk, and I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool, but I don't know. Something weird about it. Here, you want it? I would check it out. I would uh, be cautious of it. So. Yeah, check it out. And, uh. Yeah, what is this thing? What's it look like? Do you have any Mythos shocks? Uh, no, but I do have my bedrock skepticism, which allows me to counter a Mythos shock check. problem. Okay. Um, so if I happen to get one, I can counter it. You roll a cool check. Roll a As you cool look at the stone. Check. Uh, I am one die worth of cool. Let's see what that means. Five Next plus time. two advance, two or less setback. Uh, two. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it because I know I have this uh, edge. So if it's a mythos shock, then I can counter it. Okay, it is not, uh, is not a mythos shock. All right, let's see what it is. Uh, <laughs> Um, this will work out well, though, as it's kind okay. of an end to that scene. So you uh, you pick up that stone, and uh, you've got, like, um, you know, as you pick it up, immediately you have you just have to get out of there. Like, you have to get out of the office with Mickey before you faint dead away right in front of him and completely embarrass yourself. You've, uh, it's like a complete psychic shock inside of your head that you, okay. that you feel. And uh, you get up. And as, as much as possible, I would uh, excuse myself quickly, thank him for his time, and, and boogie on out. So, uh, you, so you do that. You look back, and he's, Mickey's looking at you kind of funny, but he's like, just kind of shrugs his shoulders, like, whatever, and you know, starts shuffling some papers on his desk. So. All right. It's kind of freaky. I mean, you got the sense that you got in the story to the extent yeah. you were going to get it from him, so although it's kind of a weird end to things, and you, um, the, the rock. You know, so, um, and you didn't, you didn't take that with you. Um, I would have expected to drop it. Yeah, you would have dropped it yeah. given, given the reaction. Mm-hmm. So, um, it had some, you know, as you picked it up, you saw some just kind of weird hieroglyphic or symbols or something, but you mm-hmm. didn't recognize them. They were like, not like anything you've ever seen before. So <laughs> it was in cube form and it had the numbers one through six on each. <laughs> right. So I've um, seen anything like this. I'm just a dot. So <clears throat> once you get out of there and once you're away from the rock, you feel cold and scared, but but fine. Um, you don't get a mytho shock for that. It's just okay. a, a strong reaction. A definite a shock. Right. And so now, shock. All right. so you know that something's going on at this garage with this guy mm-hmm. who makes moonshine that makes people forget their memories or puts their memories to sleep or. So, uh, I think I'm ready to go to the garage on the edge of the desert run by, uh, Roy Edick. Yeah. But that, but actor, um, cause I don't think I'm going to the coconut grove, which was the other spot. Um, I don't need to go talk to Bugsy. Yeah. No. Um, you could, but you definitely don't need to. So, mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that would be an encroachment at this time if I were to just go talk to him. Yeah, yeah. So you know that this is out uh, kind of in San Bernardino on the edge okay. of the desert, and you know that there's an old um, oil derrick on the property. So mm-hmm. 
Are you going to get Johnny to take you out there? Or? It's uh, a bit it's of a drive. Far, it's far enough out there. Yeah, I definitely need a lift. Okay, so um, I'm not going to catch the next Greyhound. This is uh, Johnny. I don't even think there is Greyhound in thirty something. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. All right, so um, you, and are you approaching kind of stealthily, or are you just driving right up? I don't like, see a need to. It's a legitimate garage. I could pull up like I got car troubles. Okay, I'll play it and I'll play it just nonchalant. I'm just there. La la la. All right, so you show up, and at first, you know, the place looks like any old remote body shop. Yeah. Um, it's covered in dust from the nearby Mojave Desert, mm-hmm. and uh, just looks kind of dilapidated and run down. There's a pair of wooden doors that have peeling paint on them that probably lead to like an apartment above the body shop, or maybe you know maybe where the owner lives. You're not sure. Okay. Um, so, you know, you walk in, you don't really notice anyone there. Um, the garage is sitting on just like a treeless lot, so it's really nothing around it but desert. Okay. And it doesn't offer cover or any sounds that would kind of mask you Definitely if you, if you were trying to Johnny sneak. Definitely to wait outside. Okay. Uh, I'm, you know, 100 feet down from the shop or something, not directly outside. Okay. Um, you notice as you go into the shop that there's, uh, in one corner, there's kind of a big drop cloth that's okay. covering some type of, well, you don't know what, but. Uh, curiosity is yeah. going to get the best of me quickly, but go ahead. <laughs> there's also uh, a couple of cars over here. One is kind of up on a, halfway up on a lift. Okay. Another one's in the corner. Um, and I'll leave it there and you can. Kind well, of- I know how the movie goes. I'm going to start lifting up the edge of the tarp, and someone's going to show up. That's how it's got to be. Nope. You uh, knowing what's under the tarp. I, <laughs> I'm instantly drawn to it. I don't know if it was the experience of looking into Helen's eyes or holding that rock, but I just need to see what's under here. Right. So you raise the drop cloth, and yep. uh, you actually just find what, what looks like must be Roy's still. Ah. And as far as you can tell, there's no real noticeable difference from any other moonshine still. Okay. Um, that's that's all that it, there is. Now, just poking around there, you want to kind of continue to look around? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I need to, well, I get the way I'm thinking of this, Mickey said there were two different kinds of moonshine here, so maybe there are two different kinds of stills. Uh, I'm definitely looking for Roy, because Roy is um, going to answer questions better than his inanimate objects probably. So let's see what's around the place. All right, so you're kind of poking around, looking still, some crates, barrels, you know, that kind of stuff. And as you're looking around... I'm at the crate and barrel. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, As you are doing that, you start to hear kind of a low moaning coming from the trunk of one of the dented Nash Ramblers, one of the old cars that's over there that I told you about. So... um, I'll like definitely check that out quickly. Anybody who's in a trunk is in worse shape than me, so I'm, right, I'm, so I'm there to help. All right, so you go over, check it out. Uh, yeah, can I pop the trunk? Yeah, so you've, you know, you've got lock, lock picking, and yeah. there's almost nothing required here. You basically pop the trunk, and uh, you've, you're met with this like gruesome sight of someone. Uh, at first, you're not sure who it is, mm-hmm. um, who's inside, like barely clinging to life. His uh, head has been beaten in to the point where there's like ex- exposed brain tissue showing Ew. and pulsing through like a shattered skull and uh there's blood all over him he's been wrapped in a sheet that's bled all the way through and as you're looking at him you realize uh that this is it's burl burl treehorn from the casino the Ooh. dealer that, that you knew and uh 
he's literally just clinging to the edge of life. And at that point, at this point, I need you to roll a stability challenge because even for hard-boiled Ooh, yeah. soul like Dex, this is a well, gruesome sight. I do sight. have two dice for stability, so let's see how that works out for Dex. Um, 11 plus for advance, three oh or my. less is a setback. Um, and I, I have nothing to help here. I'm just looking to make sure. Unless Marshall Daly's around. He could offer me some aid. Are you sure you don't have a stability plus the stability? Nope. Um, Last my, thing I gave you? It's sta- state of alarm is uh, plus one to all sense trouble tests. Okay. Yeah, well, um, and it can be used for athletics, fighting, or fleeing. And then the other one I have can be used uh, for athletics, driving, or fighting. And then my skepticism and martial. Okay. Those are the edges I have. So let's see where we start. My first die is a two. That's not a good thing. That's not a good start. Second die is a one. So that's three. That's a three. So that would be a setback. And can I bring on a problem to... You can, if you want to roll an additional die, you can I, take an extra problem. I think I do because as steel as Dex has been so far, he shouldn't be shaken that badly he should at least give it a shot yep so let's bring on another problem okay and i will roll that die for it and <laughs> what was the setback number three okay would you roll one i, I, no, I got uh, two more so okay. I, I have five now all right so you stagger back into horror okay. um you know even even with the extra effort you you just can't yeah. help yourself uh no one could uh and you need to take a minus Three penalty on your next sense trouble test, Minus which you will not I have, have to... a plus one. But there's probably not another one in the game, right? So uh, no, there's it's coming up almost immediately. Okay, all right. Cool. So first, you are going to gain problem sixteen, That's which is there. not the right number again. It's not. So let me find it. It is cold blooded. I have cold blooded. I have problem eighteen. Cold blooded. Shoot, they give you the wrong... They've got these numbers all wrong on the problems. What, what is 18? Cold-blooded. What does it say? It is, you maintain your sanity by cutting off your empathy for others. Okay. So, so you already have that? Well, I guess... I have cold-blooded. Um, that, that's you the know what? In I that case, when I looked in her eyes. Yep. In that case... I think it was, at least. Hang on. Because I got... That is the problem when I got the bedrock skepticism as the edge. Yep. All right, I am going to uh, make a GM audible out and give you problem 22, rattled. The thing you just saw leaves you shaky and off your game. Until you counter, until you counter by taking time, take a minus two penalty on all cool and stability tests. Oh, my. So Dex is shaken. It's going to be harder for him to sense trouble and more difficult to pass cool and stability checks. That might be overly aggressive of me giving you that, but let's, let's see what happens. Out. All right, and so as you recoil from the trunk after seeing the sight, I need mm-hmm. you to roll a sense trouble check. All right, so essentially here I get a negative two because I have a plus one and a minus three. Okay, if you if you cash in your edge, yeah. so you have to give that to me. Mm-hmm. Let me take that. There you go. Um, and you I have two thirteen dollars. to advance. Good guy. Six or less for setback. I think I think I'm going to have a setback here. Um, I don't think I have anything else I can do here, and this is a sense trouble. So uh, my first die is a five, but I have a minus two on it. So we're going to call the first one a three. Okay. So three plus six. Oh my gosh! Wow. Nice. I rolled a five and a six after rolling a two and a one. 
Okay, so you ended up with the uh, I ended nine? up with uh, nine, yes. All right, so that's going to be a hold. So yeah. as you reeled back, what happens is that Roy, who's been watching you this whole time yeah. from his hidden place, has come up behind you with a big cast metal wrench and mm-hmm. is trying to whack you on the back of the head. And I caught and it just in time. You catch it just in time. He still clips you with the wrench, but he doesn't knock you out cold. Okay. So uh, you're going to take a minus two penalty on the subsequent test, which is now... Struggling with Roy, which okay. is a fighting test. Oh, oh, that's cool, because I, I have something to help with that. I can use my quick reaction to spend an extra die if I need it. All right, so here we go. Fighting. I have two dice for fighting, and I get a negative what? You got a negative two for the plus fighting anything test. you can apply there. All right. So I'm going to start with a negative two. Okay. I rolled a three, so that's so one. one. And here's my second fighting die. Another three, so that's four. I'm going to use cash in my quick reactions edge because four isn't good enough. Uh, five is, setback is five or less. Yeah. So um, I got, I'm going to cash in my quick reactions, which is edge number two. Spend an extra die on any athletics, driving, or fighting test. And I'm going to spend that extra die and hope I don't get a one because I have four right now. Three more. Three. I just rolled three threes in a row, so seven was my total number. Okay. And here's the edge. All right. So he, he clipped me with the wrench. I should have known someone was coming up behind me. I thought it was going to be at the tarp. Um, After it glanced off my cranium, I was able to dodge it just enough so that the GM could read the next bit of text and tell me what happens in the story right after that. The final scene can go like three different ways depending yeah. on what happens with, uh, with Roy. So, um, right, so at this point, you... Barely, but you overpower Roy, you knock him to the floor, and you've kind of, you know, got the upper inner, your upper hand on him in the interaction, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, you pound him a few times, and he begs you to stop hitting you, and uh, not to hit him anymore. So, um, uh, I would stop. I mean, I'm not going to beat him to death. Nor will I beat him to unconsciousness, because I need information. All right, pal, I need to know what's going on here. Talk. I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you want me to talk about? What, do you want, what are you doing here? Well, I need to know why that, you've got yeah. Burl in the trunk and what the hell you did to Helen. Um, the Burl, hell to Helen. I mean, I don't know who Burl is. Like guys, you know, they bring me guys. They bring me, they bring me guys. I get rid of the bodies. That's what I do. They, did um, Burl's head, not that I'm a forensic analyst, I'm not CSI. But um, did Burl's head match the markings of the wrench that I was just about to get maimed with? Uh, so what, the idea no, was, was it Roy? That yeah, did no, it? no, you don't think so. You, he had been beaten and brought, wrapped okay. up in the right. in the sheet to him. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so you, you don't have any reason to think that Roy did that. All right. Well, tell me about this this moonshine and Helen, and what are you doing? What is all this about, mister? You have all the answers. I mean, I, I make moonshine. I give, you know, I give it to the guys for them to, to, to drink. They, you know, they like the rough stuff. That's, that's just, I just make moonshine. That's what I do. And, and the guy, he's kind of manic and like crazy. I mean, he's not, he's, I mean, he seems almost demented. He's like. What about the other like, one? What? The one that doesn't just rip your throat out. What, uh, there's no other moonshine. It's, it's, uh, I just make moonshine. That's all I do. There's no. It's just moonshine. That's all there is. That's all I there is. I my fist back for so, another punch at his face. Um, the other one. 
Yeah, hold on just a second. All right, Raymond, don't, don't hit me again. Don't hit me. I'll show you. I'll show you. All right. So, All right. You just get up slowly. All right. I, I mean, I'm not going to mess with you. I'm, I know better now. I'm not going to mess with you. Look, we got to go. I got to take you down below to show you where, where, where it happens. So we got to go in this elevator right here. Like, All right. On, no funny you. stuff. No, no funny stuff. You, look, you go, go ahead in, and I'm going to set the controller. We'll go. All right. So, um, and so you look, and there's kind of a, a like a, basically a metal cage elevator okay. it's on a on a cable winch above mm-hmm. and and as you step in um you say yeah right there right there and you hear the door slam behind you as roy closes the door and he puts all his weight up against it all of his weight. he's like <laughs> i knew this would happen i knew this would happen i knew this would happen this is why you should have known the crazy guy was up to something and you i'm a sucker you hear the you hear a latch like a, mm-hmm. almost like a locking mechanism, and he steps back and rattles the cage. He's like, "I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! They never win! They never win! They, I always win!" And he shakes the cage and uh, makes sure that you're in there. And then he steps back and he looks around and he looks and let me out of here, you crazy son of a bitch! And you can still hear um, just a little bit of moaning from Burl, but it's, mm. you can barely hear him anymore. And, and uh, Dex looks. Uh, not panicked, but concerned uh, at this point. And yeah. his, um, at this point, um, I wish know, I could call Marshall for help. Roy, yeah. So Roy's gone over to the control panel and yeah. pressed a button, and now uh, the, you hear the rattling of the winch as uh, the, the cage that you're in, the elevator cage, kind of starts to drop down okay. uh, or go down into essentially a pit cavern that's um, below the floor. Mm. So he basically opened a door underneath it, and it's going down and. Uh, um, at this point, you know, Rex is like, there's no other moonshine. There's, there's no other moonshine. Roy. 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 You said Rex. Sorry, Roy. Rex. Roy. Sorry. Uh, Roy's like, there's no other moonshine. There's no other moonshine. That's not what makes them forget. That's not what makes them forget. Son of a bitch. At this point you hear, uh, you know, uh, Roy's up there just kind of chortling with this like sadistic, you know, anticipation. And you can tell he's waiting for something. He's waiting and uh, what's happening, um, you know, um, I'm, and, he, and he'll talk. I mean, I'm talking because yeah. I know that, like, you're not going to remember any of this. So, um, and as this happens, you start to hear kind of sounds coming, um, like, feet, like, at first kind of slowly, like, two or three, and then uh-huh. more. coming. And you look out, you can't see in front of you because it's fairly dark, but it's like a stone cavern. And um, all of a sudden, these, like, kind of, hunched humanoids with like rubbery skin and tusks like almost half dog snouts start coming out all up around the cage and um at first you can't there's two three and then also there's four or five there's somewhere between maybe seven and nine of them that you can count and they're up like breathing on you and slamming up against the cage back off you freaks and um they are so, I mean, you yell at them, and there's no real reaction. Just put on you. a freshly starched shirt. So, and uh, <laughs> and uh, they're pushing up against the cage, but they're not really attacking you. It's just okay. they're there. It's like they're smelling. And they're smelling. And, and you can tell um, at, as this is happening that this is probably what sent Helen into her waking Ooh. coma. So at this point, uh, Dax would need to make a stability check. I think I could do that, and I don't have any bonus no no i do i have a um not a bonus but a problem and i have not countered my rattled by taking time so i had to get a negative two penalty on this stability on stability check. 
Yeah, okay, cool uh, and stability. Advance is nine plus, <laughs> setback is three or less. All right, so my first die is a one. If I minus two from that, I have a negative one for my second die, which is a three. So that gives me a two for stability. You got a total of two? Yep. I have four with a negative two. Um, uh, 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 the only thing I'll keep asking is if, if I'm about to encounter a mythoshock, I can counter it. Otherwise, um, I would, uh, I think, I don't know. I th- I've been rattled. This is a bunch of rattled here. I think Dex is about to give in. There is, uh, the numbers are all off on these, but uh, yeah. so you feel your self-control, your sanity, your very identity cracking beneath you. You might have a few moments of conscious volition left before you succumb to the very experience that costs Helen her mind. So you gain problem imminent uh, catatonia, which is a mythos shock. Rather than truly correlate the significance of what you just witnessed, your mind is about to shut itself down, maybe for good. Minus three penalty on fighting the ghouls. I'm kind of skeptical. So I'm going to use my bedrock skepticism to counter the mythos shock problem. Awesome. You are lucky you have that. Yes. All right. Now. So thinking that this is what, uh, what drove Helen into her current state, I realized maybe I can last a little bit longer than she did. Now that I know what the end result of it is, I don't want to go through that. I steal myself against the ghouls uh, outside. And I start, um, I start looking for the first time, I think, for a way to get out of this cage. So, um, so the minus three penalty on fighting the ghouls still applies. Well, that sucks, but... You gain the pro- well, the way it's written, you gain the problem imminent catatonia, and then it says, period, minus three penalty on fighting the ghouls. But that's that doesn't make sense, though. It doesn't make sense that you would counter that and still have the minus three. Well, let's see how it works. I, I already think... gave up my edge of a bonus to fighting. Right. Um, oh yeah, it says minus three penalty. So, um, you know, while this is happening, the, uh, you know, Roy is up there. <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, you, the, you, you're all so stupid. They bring the bodies here. I get rid of the bodies. I throw the bodies to the ghouls and I eat them. They only eat dead bodies. They only eat dead bodies. And here, and you see, he's wait, there's dead, dead. And he, you hear it like a sawing, like motion. And you'll get yours, you son of a bitch. And all of a sudden, like a hand comes flying down into mm-hmm. the cavern and lands right next to them. And you see one of the, one of the, um, Ghouls goes over and, like, grabs it and kind of brings it back to the mm-hmm. others, and they start, like, gnawing on the hand, and you realize that this must have come from Bert, yeah, above, who must Earl. now be dead. Yeah. Um, so, um, um, I'll see if I can get out of the cage, if that's an option. Things were looking great. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, so let's, okay, so you want to take a second to try to unjam the bolt yeah if i can um i know i know how those kind of thing work kind of things work and and unless he put some weird mechanism on it i might be able to get it open right so um 
Things were looking grim for me at that point in time. I looked around for a way to get out of the accursed cage while those ghouls were gnawing on poor Burl's hand. Right, right. So, um, and Roy's up there. He's still cackling away. He's like, ha ha, I never told Mickey about the ghouls. I never told Mickey about the ghouls. I never told them about the strange carvings that they bring for me. I never told them any of that. I just, I just make them forget. I just make them forget. They bring me bodies and they bring me people and I just make them forget. Um, I never told them about the great sleeping god either the great sleeping god he's going to come and take the world and i never tell him any of that but you know about it you can see them now you can see them so i just start repeating you son of a bitch son of a bitch so um if you so you kind of mess with the locks um are you gonna if the ghouls are still there if you can get it open are you going to leave or are you gonna well i distinctly recall frico roy saying they only ate dead bodies i'm not dead yet Correct. So as long as I stay alive, I think I might have a way out. I can try and climb the cable, which I'm sure is covered in grease of some type, but still. Right. I need to try and find a way out. Right. And so Roy is still kind of up there, right on the edge of the pit, dancing above you and just cackling. And so you're going to work on the lock? Yeah, I'm going to try and get out. Okay, so. Now, actually, I can see him. Mm -hmm. Can I shoot him? Because if he falls down as a dead body, then. I can try and get out of here. Absolutely. You could definitely try to shoot him, for sure. Let me try that. Let's do a... Uh, let's do... I'm going to grab my 38, which still has five rounds in it. Um, yeah, you know what? So, I was um, he, shut that son of a bitch if up. If he had knocked you out, he would have frisked you, and we'd yeah. do a quick check to see if he found your gun, but he didn't knock you out, yeah. and you had the upper hand on him, so you still have your gun, so you... See him up mm-hmm. there, and you take aim. He's not; he's only 20, 30 feet above mm-hmm. you. And so um, you look at him, and how many shots are you going to fire? I want to – the idea is I want to shoot him so the, the, I don't know, the impact of being shot, not like the kinetic energy, but that he got shot causes him to fall over the edge. Right. That's the idea. So okay. I want to shoot him in the leg. Shoot him in the knee. Uh, <laughs> right. Right, so you I'm look not, up. Yeah, I'm not trying to kill him yet. I want I want him to see his doom before it you know it descends upon him. Ah, okay. So uh, interesting. So let's say that that's exactly what happens. So okay. You shoot him in the knee. Maybe he falls down and breaks an arm or something. I don't want him dead when he hits the ground. Okay. Not so, that I have control over that, but for the story's sake. Right. So yeah. that's exactly what happens, and he falls down. And he screams on the way down, and he hits the ground. And you can hear his neck snap, or his back, something snaps, and he just looks like his eyes are just glazed, and you can tell that the fall killed Mm -hmm. him. Um, Son of a bitch. And so at that point, you know, one of the ghouls, like, like looks at it in kind of fascination, and um, he walks over and looks, and, like, they're funny. They're not, like, rabid, even though they look like these wolves and dogs, Mm -hmm. like these weird men. Um, and he's actually almost polite in that he brings it over back to the other ones and um, he sets it down and all of a sudden like all the ghouls kind of gather around it mm-hmm. and just start like devouring the corpse like, right in front of you. And so... Got you, um, you son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. So and what are you doing? I gotta get happens? out. I gotta freaking get the hell out of right, here. Right, so... Um, but you, you're watching them eat. Only for a moment while I'm trying to figure out the lock. It's like I keep glancing over there, hoping that they have a big enough meal that they're not coming to get me. Right. Let's uh, let's do a quick stability 
Check. Right. That's bad because I get still get a negative two on these. Oh, do you? Yep. Okay. Let's see how it works out. I got my first roll of a one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm not even sure I shouldn't do this check, yeah. to be honest. Uh, I could lose it. I could lose it. And a five. So I got a four total. Okay. So you are horrified. You just, you know, you look and you yeah. try to look away, but you're just staring in horrified fascination. Even just, though I intended for him to be down here. I knew the son. Yeah, but that, that, of, I knew the eating, son of a bitch would be eaten, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. Exactly, exactly. So them eating, eating him is still like, even though he deserves it, it's uh, mm-hmm. you well, know, you saw something that you're not, you, you know, you wish you had. Now you can't get it out of your mind. Counter by accepting a minus four penalty on any challenge. If still in your hand at the end of the case, you suffer a heart attack. Ah, that could be interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure you will have a chance to mm. counter a problem with that. I'm also not sure. But is in light does of the it story, fatal heart attack? It does not. It okay, does not. so that, that could oh, be our, that could right. be an interesting um, lead-in for another story. Right. Yeah, and also perhaps not fair to do that since you did yeah. intend for that to happen. But um, it works though. I'm cool. It with says it. Dex could avert his eyes or undergo the following test. So I, I just I. W- the character, no. The character decks that I'm playing, like I said, he's messing with the lock and keeps looking over because he thinks he might be the next meal. Right. So once they finish devouring the corpse, and like it's, it's almost like it's been completely just stripped down to the bones, and, okay. and that's what's left. And they look, and then like they're grunting and like snuffing and everything, but still, like they're obviously like a unified kind of pack. And mm-hmm. then they just get up and kind of turn and start to walk away down one path of the cavern because there's okay. basically a path going opposite directions okay. away from where the elevator is. And they just kind of slink off and disappear in the darkness of the tunnel that's opening up from the cavern. Um, and uh, at that point, you, you know, you've already been, you've already realized that you got, have got the elevator open and at that okay. point you're comfortable, I think walking out and, you know, if you want to exploring the cavern further. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh. Uh, should I? I mean, you've got to either climb up the 30-foot chain of the elevator. Son of a Which bitch. is gre- potentially greasy, yeah. or you've got to work your way out somehow. Well, I'm going to see if I can actually climb up first. Okay. Before I go following these things that just ripped a human apart. Well, no, they, they, went, one, there's, there's yeah. two, they went down one end, and there's another cavern that goes ex- yeah. exactly the opposite direction. But so. who's to say there isn't more of them in the other Absolutely direction? Absolutely true. So, the hungrier ones. Right, so let's do a quick athletics check. All right, let's try that. How many dice do you have, two? Uh, yes, I have two for athletics. All right, so let's do 11 plus to climb the greasy... You just... Keep, I rolled a one again to start... Followed by a cockeyed die, followed by a two. So I roll a three. Right. I won't feel I'm bad about setting that there. so high yeah. then because you wouldn't have made it anyways. Oh All right, so. Yeah, um, too slippery to go. So Roy's been way. taken care of and the ghouls have been Thank dispersed. God, and, you know, um, you realize that you have to f- have to find your way out and, yeah. uh, and out of the cavern. And so. And I'll definitely go down the hallway. They did not just go down. Right, so this appears one. to be, you know, part of really what must be an extensive tunnel network. Um, that just appears to have been kind of clawed by the clawed out of the earth, perhaps by the ghouls themselves. Ooh. And there's human bones littering the floor as mm. you go. Um, most of them near the the main opening where the elevator was, but scattered down down the hallways as you go. I remember recently somebody telling me people disappear in L.A. all the time. 
Yeah, exactly. So it would take, you know, a skilled medical examiner, you know, someone like Ginny to tell you exactly how many people are here, but there's clearly, you know, two or three dozen people's different bones that have been here, and some of them have been here for more than a decade. Um, the other interesting thing that you see as you go out is these large fragments of hieroglyphic carvings that are standing against the walls. Um, you're not sure why they're here, but, you know, based on the something that Roy had said earlier and what you're seeing, you almost think like the ghouls may have brought these as some kind of offering to Roy. You know, he was giving them bodies and they were bringing him these hieroglyphs. And um, interestingly, you sense that they, or you know that they match, or at least some of them match what you saw on that rock that you got. So I was just going to ask you if anything looked like that rock. So um, you could study them at length, but it, you know, not not now. (laughs) So could, won't. Right. So, um, as you move, you know, the ghouls had gone kind of off to the southwest, so now you're moving northeast, and um, eventually, you know, you actually come and you start to see the sun out at the end, and then um, it's glistening off the oil derrick uh, that had been there, and you realize at that moment that that was the lever that had been referenced earlier um, by uh, someone of the adventurers, and a lever that had to used move. to move up and down, but yep. no longer did, and you think, ah, a lever. Um, and so... Uh, um, at that point, you uh, come out into the bright eyes and uh, turn back and look into the darkness and can't see anything of the horror that was just left behind. Johnny's still out there. Johnny's cab. still out there. Great. I'm going to flop into the back of the cab like I haven't slept in four days. Uh, Johnny, get me home. So uh, Johnny takes you home, and you uh, you crash out for the night, dead to the world. I knew I still had to wrap up a few loose ends, but it's time to get some rest. Right. So you uh, you sleep like the dead. You sleep for fourteen hours, Ooh. which is about ten hours longer than you sleep most nights. Yeah. Oh, then I could probably get a, get away uh, or get the la rattled. I un, I could unrattle. I t- I can take some time. Absolutely, that works. So that's my uh, problem number twenty two. So when you wake up, I'll be recomposed a little. You know, there's no, probably no point in trying to pursue this matter against Bugsy or Mixy, uh, bu- you know, Bugsy or uh, Mickey. Yeah. Um, you know, even if you could com- convince a cop to arrest them, there's, uh, they'll beat it. Yeah. Uh, they've got people inside the corruptible courts, and uh, and you know, a wise man wouldn't get between Siegel and Guy McAfee for now. Not a chance. I wouldn't plan on ratting out any of the uh, gangster guys at this time, except against one another. Right. Well, interestingly, when you uh, head out on the street the next yeah. morning, one of the first things you notice, uh, you know, the, the newspaper stands and the newspaper boys mm-hmm. have papers, and uh, the headlines are blaring about the inexplicable disappearance of Whitey Alexander. And uh, you have a feeling it's not going to yeah. be long before uh, you learn that management of the Allegri has been turned over to Bugsy Siegel. So you know what's happened to Helen at this point. If you want to return, you know, report to Margaret and close the case, you can. You could follow up anything else that you want to. Very concerned about how I, would, how I would try to explain this to Margaret without her going to find a private eye to figure out what happened to me. But I can tell her that the person who, the person who made her forget is no longer going to be a problem. Um, uh, I can reassure Margaret that the case is closed. Uh, I just don't have any answers for Helen. Okay. 
Margaret, um, appreciate your help and she mm. is glad to know what happened to her sister you, uh, to the extent that you've explained it to her. She pays you for your services as agreed, uh, mm-hmm. and that would counter your broke problem. Good. Um, mm-hmm. At this point, do you have any outstanding problems that should be wrapped up? or Is it cold-blooded? Um, that's the empathy one. I don't think yeah. that's, that's not a big deal. And I think that one could go away with taking time as well. It would take some time to learn to love people again. <laughs> right? What um, about the... Uh, and then indelible image. Um, that's the one that was countered by accepting things or suffer a heart attack at the end. I think, I think it would be cool to end it on the heart attack and see if we play again how he comes back from the heart attack. But... Um, uh, one more loose end to tie up. I want to go let uh, Miss Greta know that uh, the photos are are no longer a problem for her. And I want to go see if she's willing to pay to put that matter to rest. Is it... Uh, so she uh, she's glad to see you again. Um, so I show her, first off, that I have the photos. And I let her know I also have the negatives if she'd like to pay to have all of them returned to her. Well, it's interesting. Uh, it's good to see you again. You know, Mr. Spielman, he never came home yesterday. He did not yeah. come home last night. I don't know where he is, but I'm glad that he's not here. Is that your yeah, doing? I can, I, I can uh, pretty much assure you that he will not show up here again on his own, at least. Not, not on his own two legs. Well, I had offered you money if you would uh, take care of him. Is that money that I owe you? Um. I can I can give you the photos, the negatives, and you can take that as something I helped make happen. And yes, I would accept that payment. So since she had promised him the two hundred dollars, and she's more than glad to have the photos back, even though that's a huge sum of money for her, she mm-hmm. gladly and willingly gives it over to you cool. and gives you a big kiss on the side of your cheek. You smell uh, lovely, lovely perfume as she rubs up against you. Smells a lot better than them ghouls chewing on that son of a bitch. <laughs> so, uh, she could take you back to bed and you could have a heart attack? Or <laughs> you know, that, wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a bad way to end it. Um, the lights go dim, a ceiling yeah. fan stirs in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greta lies back with a cigarette between her lips, looks over and sees Dex Raymond clutching his chest in the head. <laughs> but no, for now, uh, for now, the uh, mystery has been solved. Uh, it's a bigger crazy, one. Crazy Roy has yeah. been killed. But what the hell were those There's things? No sign yet that Helen is going to recover. And you wonder in the back of your mind if perhaps there's something that you could do that might actually help her recovery. You I'm wonder sure. if maybe something about the hole. If there's something okay. you can do there. But that's a mystery to be solved another day. Another day. I'll let you take us out. As the darkness fell over me, clutching my chest, I realized this was one crazy adventure. But at least now I know what happened to Helen, and I think it's happening to me. (laughs) All right, well, this has been the Gumshoe One-on-One Cthulhu Confidential. Joe and I get to spend a lot of time together. This was very cool. I like this. Um... I, and, and, you know, I'll spend a couple minutes talking about it, too. One of the things I was telling uh, Kurt in between sessions I really enjoyed was the idea that um, 
with just the two of us, we're more focused on the game. So it feels like we're getting more and more accomplished. And I, I keep thinking to myself, after we get one session recorded, I'm like, we just did a whole bunch of stuff. And it felt like there's no way we would have gone through three location scenes in a group of four or five people um, not that quickly. And I just felt it was really cool the way the game is structured. It helps you move through things easily. Um, you don't spend a lot of time on minutia. It's just, here's your scene. Check the place out. Get the clues you need. Interpret those clues and move on to the next thing. I really like the way it worked out. Right, right. It's a challenge there at the end because uh, those last couple of scenes can go a few different ways. Mm. And because you do move through everything so quickly, man, there's not a lot of time for the GM to kind of keep up with that if you don't yeah. really know the adventure super well. I mean, I've read it twice carefully, and it was still that last scene is tricky because there's a bunch of paths and a duff, bunch of challenges, and uh, it can end a few different ways. And, in fact, the way Joel rolled, you know, he wouldn't necessarily have had to have ended up in the, in the um, uh, elevator, yeah. but you want to get down there and you want to see the ghouls. I mean, the adventure, you know, you would have had to have just willingly kind of gone down there, which... Doesn't make it, a ton it of sense. Wouldn't have made sense for the way we were playing. So no. I think I think the way it played out there was was good. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about this adventure is, even though it's Cthulhu Confidential, there's very little mythos in it. You yeah, know, there's you uh, get the ghouls right at the end. But I mean, in some of the the some of the stories, the crazy crap doesn't happen until right at the end, and that's when the person goes, well, you know, nutty. Correct. Correct. So, so there are there are a few other thing, a few things that didn't happen in our play that might have been kind of cool. Yeah. Um, one of them if you want me to mention, would be sure. um, if you had brought Clara Nebel mm-hmm. to see Helen. And that was what I was going to mention as an afterthought, but I right. was having a heart attack. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I'm just thinking about the mythos, and that's yeah, one of the yeah. only ones that we potentially missed. And you would have had to have spent probably two pushes to actually get her in, right. because you'd already gone to see Helen, so going mm-hmm. back again is a push. And I think the game makes you spend another push to get Clara in, because Margaret doesn't like her. So it, it makes sense that you didn't do that or wouldn't have done that but if she does that um the way the game is set up clara actually is a she has real powers she is not a a bullshitter and when she looks into helen's eyes she sees the ghouls and the whole thing and she goes crazy and and she tries to kill herself like potentially immediately and so there's some things to playing out of different ways that she can she can go and jump from the roof of the manor or she can uh, try to throw herself out a window or like a bunch of different things. But you also might, you might get some foreshadowing there, mm-hmm. just a little of what happens at the end. Cause she says things, she says a couple of things that might That's make it cool. a little less random when you just end up in this kind of the pit, pit of ghouls. At the, end. the pit of ghoul. But I mean, we, we hit most of the optional scenes and I thought you did a great job with the investigation and playing the character. And um, to the extent there was any lag in, or any, um, Awkwardness in the storytelling, it was totally my fault and not yours. So. Uh, it was just a lot of words to keep in mind. Uh, I think it's another thing I said off-air, but I could imagine if you wrote the adventure, it would be so much easier to follow because you know where everything's leading. Um, and that's one way, If it's a, as a GM, if you create the adventure, regardless of the system, it feels much more natural to walk through it. When it's pre-published, a lot of times, especially if you're thorough, you find yourself flipping pages because you don't want to give a certain name or a certain thing when it actually might dislodge something in a different part of the adventure as a pre-published one you then have this domino effect of breaking down the whole thing so definitely um i think you did a great job moving through it gave me opportunity to speak up in between and try and throw some fun lines of dialogue in there too well and there's a bunch of things here where we've laid out characters that if someone wanted to or if we wanted to you could easily spin off more adventures from dax Mm -hmm. 
in this land where now you know he's got contacts, you've got these new mobsters in place that he's got yeah. relationships with, and you would start the next adventure knowing like there truly is something supernatural so living up stuff. under yeah. the desert. And I know right where it is. Right. That's scary stuff right there. Right. Right, so it's it's interesting. They give you a little bit of background about Roy, the guy, the crazy guy at the end. That um, I didn't feel like I could bring out without it just being like random, like yeah. exposition. But it gives you, by way of background, the fact that um, he'd come to L.A. as a young man, as part of the flood of Midwesterners who'd come seeking opportunity, only to kind of slam into the town's swirling madness. It says already inculcated in the ways of the Cthulhu cult by his abusive father and stepmother. Wow. He arrived with a nose for supernatural weirdness. That's why he chose to build his garage in this godforsaken place. He could sense vibrations which would give him power. And he's discovered the ghoul tunnels and like basically nurtured them as his kind of almost like servants. And at some point, I can't remember if I said it or not, but he um, he kind of yells about the, the great sleeping god and all this stuff. Yeah, he so, did mention the great sleeping god. Yeah, so, and I, um, I was just... Yeah, so it's cool. So there's all, all kind of... Uh, and then you've got Clara, who is still alive and has these real powers. Um, so that she could be cool. a connection into yep. more of the mythos. And um, uh, That's pretty cool stuff. I liked it a lot. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you all listening. Yeah. Uh, I think and, this is a ton I of fun. I appreciate Kurt as a GM for this one. I'll give him a little golf clap here. Thank you. I Very appreciate well it. Very well done, Kurt. I know and, it was a bunch uh, of prep. I don't want to spoil any surprises, but I think we'll be going back with the full group uh, to a new game soon. And I think yeah. uh, Joe will probably be running it, so I'm looking forward to that. And you'll actually hear that the week after you hear this one, even though for us it'll be a few months away. Um, in the meantime, we're going to wrap this one up. We're also going to try and reach out to Pelgrim Press and let them know we did this. And maybe you can see this if you follow them on um, Facebook or something. Maybe you'll get an inkling as to uh, when this releases. And uh, enjoy. Yeah, it was tons of fun. Thanks for listening. Okay, thanks. Bye. The preceding podcast was brought to you by One Joe Young. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com.